Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I trust that your first week of May is off to a good start. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, good evening, Brother Nathan, and thanks those who are on the radio, on the um, in their homes, allowing us to come in. Appreciate it so much. Pastor, I have in front of me an article, and this is an article about Union Theological Seminary in New York, and it was founded in 1836. Its founding constitution stated that the seminary's goal was to promote the kingdom of Christ, and professors were required to affirm that they believed the scripture of the Old and New Testament of the Word of God, and and that it was the only infallible rule of faith and practice. But the current president, Serene Jones, has made very clear that the seminary is a different school today. She rejects a bodily resurrection of Christ. And let me just read this quote that she says, When you look in the Gospels, the stories are all over the place. There's no resurrection story in Mark, just an empty tomb. Those who claim to know whether or not it happened, they're kidding themselves. Jones said, the crucifixion is nothing, is not something that God is orchestrating from upstairs. The pervasive idea of an abusive Godfather who sends his own kind to the cross so God for, could forgive people is nuts. For me, the cross is an enactment of our human hatred. Pastor, how can a school or a group of people who have the truth, even in their tradition, and so readily available, how can they become so confused? I think this is one of the great tragedies of modern times. Um, not only that university, but if you think of Yale, you think of Princeton, you think of Harvard, all of those schools were originally founded to train ministers for the gospel, yet all of them have gone away from the truth and fallen into apostasy, even though they still have um, seminaries. When students leave those seminaries, they come out of those seminaries without any fundamental basic belief in the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, part of the reason for this, I think, is that the churches were not vi vigilant enough. A lot of these schools were started by church groups, and uh, even to keep them going, churches had to support them. And when even they saw the apostasy was coming, for example, when evolution was introduced into these major schools, it was the ordinary man that was supporting these, these schools, and the pastors never drew it to the attention of the ordinary man. So I think it's part of the compromise of the pastors who did not, at the time, 
um, draw the draw to the attention of the lay people who were actually the ones giving towards these institutions. As a result, they were supporting uh, institutions that went away from God's word, but were not fully aware of what was happening. It's a tragedy that a woman like this could be head of a seminary, uh, a school. I think she ought to be removed. I don't see any purpose for anybody uh, being involved in Christian religion who doesn't believe in the resurrection. And clearly she does not believe in the atonement because she's making a mockery of God sending his son to die. Uh, to her, that's what the liberals call a bloody religion, and they don't have any place for that. But that's a, an idea of where you're going to send a person to a, a seminary for training. You have to be very careful that who um, they're studying under. But that is one of the great tragedies of our time. And when those people are trained and they come back to the Caribbean, they bring that kind of false teaching here. A few, I think it was last year or two years ago, the Obama administration sent down two, uh, I think it was two, two uh, professors from Howard University. I happened to attend it at the um, the center. The multi-purpose? Multi-purpose center. I never heard so much garbage in all my life. I could not believe that these men were credible uh, seminary graduates. But when I looked at the profile and looked at their qualifications, these were men that were highly qualified in different areas of, of New Testament studies, Old Testament studies. But I sat and I listened. I couldn't take it anymore. I just walked out because I had never heard such nonsense in all my life. Um, one one of the guys said, uh, the story of the Bible is not about him, it's about us. For the time he made that statement, that was the end for me. I couldn't sit and listen to him any longer. But basically, he was. they were sent down to push the, um, the, the theology of inclusion, that uh, it was really to promote the gay, lesbian agenda, so that the churches would become tolerant of the... But I think they got a whiff of it. They came down to Antigua to push that upon the churches, that they would get such a backlash. So the lectures was changed, but again, um, it became more of a lecture dealing with um, black theology than the actual matter of uh, gays and the lesbians. But I wrote down on the sheet of papers and left, are you sure these men have got credentials? And I, I just left. But we've got to understand that the apostasy always starts on the intellectual level, and then it filters down to the layman. And uh, these schools have done a great disservice to the ministry by tolerating professors and teachers, and like this person, a president of a school, who no longer holds to the basic tenets of Scripture. That person should be defrocked, that person should be removed from that position, and put a person who is a Bible-believing uh, person in that, in that uh, to replace that person. Just one more quote from this seminary president. She says, I do not believe in a God who, because of prayer, would decide to cure your mother's cancer but not cure the mother of your non-praying neighbor. She said, we cannot manipulate God like that. Is prayer manipulating of God? Look, God has said he would answer prayer, but again, if we're going to get God to answer prayer, we must have a relationship with God. And that's what God requires of us, that we have a, a relationship with God. Any person uh, who wants uh, to have God to hear their prayer must come into a relationship to Jesus Christ. Um, and remember that the the check is signed in the name of Jesus. So if we want our prayer answered, it must be through Christ, but we must have a relationship with Christ. I don't see how in the world that is manipulative. I don't see how in the world that's unreasonable. If It's extended to all people of all races, of all times. 
uh, that a person can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, and that brings into relationship. As a result of that, um, anything we ask in His name, He said that uh, we can have the assurance that He will, will grant the request. It may not come immediately. It might be to wait. It might be later. But uh, He's made that kind of a promise. So it's extended to everybody. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua. On 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at org. The name of the program is That's Truth. I'm glad that you have joined us this evening, and we want your interaction. The program is designed for your interaction. Maybe you have a suggested topic that you would like covered on a future episode of That's Truth. We would love to hear your suggestions and prayerfully consider that topic. You can also send your questions or your suggested topic to crlthatstruth at gmail.com. crlthatstruth at gmail.com. That's all one word, no spaces, no apostrophe. Now, tonight on the program, we're discussing a topic that has infiltrated uh, very lots and lots of aspects of society. Uh, Pastor? Yeah, I wanted to make a comment before we address this, this subject tonight. Uh, a few years ago, this was the same problem you raised with this lady uh, who is now the president of a, a seminary. Uh, this was the problem with the Southern Baptists. The Southern Baptists, for many, many years, were allowing professors uh, who even authored books to inject evolution and uh, the critical theory about the Bible, the higher critical theory, and in their seminaries, uh, rather than deal with the problem, because I've, uh, there's a book written by Dr. Beale from Bob Jones University called The Southern Baptist on Sand, House on Sand. I read the book myself. And he, in that book, quotes a lot of these professors at these different Southern Baptist schools that were teaching not only evolution, but were questioning the authorship of the Book of Moses, uh, the, the Pentateuch, uh, the fact that there were two Isaiahs instead of one Isaiah. In other words, what we as fundamentalists and we as Bible believers hold to, even in the Southern Baptist seminaries, these were being questioned and being false doctrine had entered. But no one seemed to have the courage, the boldness, to have intervened and uh, fired these people, removed them from office. And a lot of the Southern Baptists lay people who supported the, the Southern Baptist Church, and their churches supported the seminars, keep the seminars going. They were oblivious to what was going on, and the battle between the Southern Baptists and the fundamentalists had to do with this same type of false teaching and nobody having the moral courage to deal with it and to take these people out of those places of positions. Now think of the damage that was done in that period of time. People are going to seminary, they're being taught evolution, they're being taught that there's no creation, six days creation, they're being taught uh, there are two Isaiahs, they're being taught that uh, the Wellhausen theory that there are five people that wrote the book of Moses, uh, J-E-D-D-P. Uh, all of this was being taught in these seminaries, and then they came back, would, co- would have come back, take a Caribbean person who'd been there, come back to the Caribbean. He has undermined, his faith has been undermined while he's studying. Now he comes back to the Caribbean, and he introduces the same kind of dogma. That's the tragedy of not dealing with issues for fear. And I think in case of the Southern Baptists, it had to do with their corporate program. Everything was about money. Because if these uh, seminaries closed down, you, you lost 
your gratuity, you, you lost your pension. Uh, there are a lot of issues. It was more money matter than a biblical doctrinal matter because clearly they were off doctrinally. And rather than take a firm stand on Scripture, they preferred to lean on the side where it had to be a monetary issue rather than a doctrinal issue. I think that was a tragedy. Now, when you introduced that topic of the Southern Baptists, you stated as in past tense. Is that still prevalent, or is to, to that my, been cleaned to my up? Knowledge, to my knowledge, the last few um, presidents have reversed that. Okay. And uh, that is why, as you know, that's why John MacArthur now would associate with the Southern Baptists. Yeah. Prior, he would have nothing to do with them because he saw the deviation from biblical doctrine. But now they've got some solid men who have come in and, and bit the bullet and uh, shocked the the system, but brought about change. Um, the other issue that's going to come up very shortly that people haven't dealt with is the there are different major denominations that are now ordaining lesbians and, and, and uh, homosexuals. That is going to be a big issue shortly. The Anglican Church, I think, is either going to split over that. The Methodist Church is almost split over it already, and I think there's just a, a, a an imbalance that will happen shortly that will probably cause the churches to switch. But again, if we hold the biblical truth, and we let the Bible guide us on these matters. We need to take a stand. We must not compromise on these issues. I think it's vitally important that the church take a stand for truth. Do you see that topic of who the churches are ordaining becoming an issue within the fundamental churches? Well, I don't. I don't think within the, the Baptist circle or the the major evangelical uh, churches here in Antigua, I cannot see of any of the major evangelical churches ordaining a homosexual or ordaining a lesbian. I can't see it happening. It, w- it would shock me for something like that to happen in the Caribbean. But again, you know, when you think about it, there's so many great institutions that you never could have conceived that they would ever have gone the route that they have fallen into. And it may be very possible, if you get the wrong person in position of leadership, that eventually that, that crept in. Uh, let me use an illustration here. There was a time when um, evangelical groups would not ordain women. I mean, there's a biblical teaching that God has God has put the burden of leadership upon men in terms of being pastors. Now that is gradually being erased and removed, and in many of the major evangelical denominations, you've now got women being ordained to the ministry, which uh, I think will create a great divide in the future, because we as Baptists, I can only say this, we will never ever tolerate that happening within the Baptist circle, because we think we have biblical precedent for it, that the Bible is very, very clear that a woman is not to be given authority over men, not supposed to be teaching men doctrine as well. And this has nothing to do with the culture. We, we've talked about this before. It has to do with the fact, the order of creation. It was not accidentally the way man was created. God created that order because God intended to establish headship and leadership. And then, of course, the matter of the fall, uh, the woman being deceived, fallen first, basically. But that's the reason that Paul gives in the book of Timothy, and we must hold the biblical truth. We must not sacrifice that because the times are changing, the culture is changing, the thinking is changing, the feminist movement is aggressive. Uh, we give in to one thing, it's going to lead to another. That's why you've now got the degendering de- of the Bible. No, you don't want to be God to be called a he any longer. Um, you can either use some kind of a neutral term, or we got to put she in there, maybe a he, she, slash. Uh, I think we're tampering with Scripture when we do that. and uh, But I think that that is what's going to happen, is we try to f- be viewed as tolerant and gracious, and uh, not to be bigots, 
and the feminist agenda is being pushed in the church, I think that's what's going to happen eventually. Only the strong who hold to Scripture and biblical truth, and this is unchanging, we will be seen as the outsiders, and we will be seen as the ones that really are very bigoted and intolerant. I think that's going to happen. I think that's inevitable, to be honest with you. Pastor, we had a caller. They didn't want to go on the air, but they calling from Anguilla just to let us know that they're listening and to say thank you for the program, That's Truth. Thank you to the individual who called. Keep listening from Anguilla. We are excited that our signal is good and strong there. Keep encouraging others to listen. Have you encouraged someone else to tune into the program and to ask their questions? Go ahead and send a WhatsApp message to a friend or family member. Even if they're not in the Caribbean, send it to them if they're in Canada or anywhere. If they have Internet, they can listen to us at www.radiolighthouse.org. Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes? You can get a little bit of a bird's eye view from a camera mounted on the wall here in the studio. If you go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse page, Facebook page, Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, and watch the Facebook Live video feed, you can watch the program live. Pastor Murphy, tonight on the program we're discussing a topic that I'm convinced has infiltrated nearly every aspect of life, if not all areas of society. Our topic tonight is that of humanism. What is it? What does it teach? And why does it matter if I, as a Christian, am familiar with it? Let's start out with what is humanism? Well, this is a philosophy, a way of thinking, that has dominated the Western world for the last 200 years. Um, But the gist and essence of humanism is that it really is an, a, a philosophy that believes that man is sufficient in himself and that man can solve all of his problems without any reference to any transcendent supernatural being. Man is the measure of all things, basically, and to- the total adequacy of man to resolve all of his problems. So humanism is a man-centered philosophy that be- believes that man has all potential, all adequacy to solve the problem. I want to quote what Julian Huxley said. He was a great humanist. He said, I use the word humanist to mean someone who believes that man is just as much a natural phenomenon as animals or plants, that his body, his mind, and his soul were not supernaturally created, but is a product of evolution, that he is not um, to be under the control or guidance of any supernatural being, uh, but has to rely on himself and his own powers. I think he uh, was has stated very adequately what it is um, in terms of the, the thinking. It's really the dominant idea that man uh, can solve all his issues, and uh, man looks to himself. He doesn't look to any transcendent supernatural being. And the whole idea is that man must rule planet Earth without any reference to God. So if you're a humanist, do you have to be an atheist? Well, if you consider yourself a humanist, by definition, you're an atheist. Um, You cannot be a humanist and not be an atheist because, by definition, an atheist, I mean, a a humanist is a person who embraces evolution as the source of man's existence. Let's take a step back and look at the historical perspective or the origins of the humanist movement. Well, if you try to do a study on that, and uh, by the way, I must recommend a book by Tim LaHaye. It is called um, The Battle for the Mind. 
uh, he does a very good synopsis of the history of the movement. Um, he, he points out that uh, it begins, first of all, with the Greek thinkers. Uh, they're the first one that systematized this philosophy of humanism, where you know the Greeks idolized the human uh, figure. And if you ever looked at any of the Greek statues, you see that the major figure is a man, basically. Remember also that the Greek gods were really what you might call promoted men, because they pretty much had the same passions as men, only at, at a different level. And also, remember that the, the Greeks were conquered by the Romans, and while the Romans conquered the Greeks militarily, uh, culturally, <laughs> and philosophically, the, 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 the Romans embraced the Greek thinking, and so it passed on from the Greeks to the Romans. And uh, you would know that the Western world pretty much is uh, or no spread of the Roman Empire. Um, so it started basically with the Greeks, uh, and then uh, for 1,200 years, humanism uh, was pretty much a dead philosophy because Christianity for 1,200 years dominated the, the world scene, especially with the Catholic Church and the Protestant Reformation. It was not until later that— So are you saying Christians or Catholics are Christians? Well, <laughs> I am saying that the Catholic Church, I, I do not regard those people who believe that uh, a person is saved through Mary or a person is saved through works is, is a Christian. Okay. I'm just using it in a generic term of being a Christian movement in the sense that um, the word Catholic means universal. And uh, before you had the, the Catholic Church, which was formed in 9500 um, A.D., the church was a Catholic church. In other words, you had ecumenical councils, but it's just that that term today is used as though I did define the Catholic church. But the word Catholic always meant universal church. Right? But uh, again, um, for 1,200 years, the uh, Western landscape was dominated by Christian thinking. Uh, most of the colleges and the universities that were started, as a matter of fact, universities and colleges were started by Christian churches. Uh, and so up until at the time of uh, Thomas Aquinas. He is the man, which is very surprising uh, uh, and very interesting. He's the one that reintroduced humanism. Now, the Catholics idolize him as an outstanding scholar, and they've even actually made him a saint. But um, it's amazing that he was doubtful in terms of the biblical doctrine of the fall of man. He did not believe that man was totally fallen. He believed that the intellect was still intact, and therefore man could use his intellect uh, and to, to come to knowledge. So what he did, basically, is that he went back to the Greek thinkers, and in particular in Thomas Aquinas's writings, you'll find that Aristotle plays a major role. He elevated Aristotle to the level of Scripture, that's what he did. He brought back humanism back into the into 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 the mainstream. From the time of um, Thomas Aquinas, the Western world had a philosophical romance with humanism, and it has continued ever since down the line. Um, I should mention as well that after Aquinas, you had the what is called the Renaissance. This is about the 14th century. This is where now you had a revival in interest in culture, in Greek books and writings and the Roman writings. Uh, that in itself brought the um, 
humanism back into full focus. And then there were the French skeptics, two of them in particular, Voltaire and uh, Rousseau. These are two other major players when it comes to promoting humanism. Uh, Voltaire is known as the father of enlightenment. And enlightenment basically has to do with elevating the human intellect and what is called rationalism. Uh, They had five things that they were concerned about. It was elevating reason above revelation. Rather than focus on God, you focus on nature. Um, rather than focus on eternity, you focus on ha- human happiness. And rather than focus on um, control, you, f- you focus on liberty and freedom. And the whole idea is that man would progressively improve this world. This so there's no need for God. That is Voltaire. And that sums up society today. <laughs> but if you understand the thought that this that this guy created, remember that how you look at it, ideas are what influence the world. Yeah. And what we are going through today is not something original with us. These are things, these are ideas that were in seed form that have now come to full bloom. And again, these are ideas that were, again, it comes from top, top down. It always starts in the universities. It always starts in the colleges. So these influential philosophers, their books, Voltaire wrote over 85 books pushing his philosophy to get it into the colleges and because he under, they understood two things. One is that the way to infiltrate and get their ideas is to get into the educational system. So you had to get into the universities. You get into the university by writing books, and those things are being taught in the universities and the schools. And, of course, the other thing is the media, because the university student leaves the university, takes up a position in the media, and then he also peddles the same ideas. It's a brilliant idea of how to how to, how to get these, these things across, right? But... Um, Voltaire was another major player. And then Rousseau. Rousseau is the guy that pushed a lot about um, man being a natural animal and the idea that man should not be restrained, man should have as much liberty as possible. Uh, What they're not told about this guy, this guy is a man that lived with uh, um, his mistress for 16 years, fathered five children, and abandoned all five in the hospital. You You know, that side of him is not seen, but yet his ideas... When you go into the, the, the colleges, these ideas are pushed, especially among young people, about liberation and freedom and, and uh, having no absolutes, etc. But these are the ideas that have infiltrated the university, that have filtered down to the students who come back into the mainstream, and uh, those ideas become pervasive. So you've got the you've got um, Thomas Aquinas, you've got the Renaissance, you've got um, Voltaire, you've got Rousseau. And then the the other thing is that is important is that as countries became independent and government be- got greater control and they began to hire people to fill the positions in government, where do those people come from? They come from the universities. So the, the whole thing is that it filters down now from the top down to the head and get into the... the that's why in governments, most people in government especially in Europe, in America, and in uh, England. And um, you'll find that the majority of people who are in government positions are humanists. So that is why government policy and legislation and, and making rules and regulations is not from a biblical perspective any longer. That is gone. It's now from a secular perspective, especially from a humanist perspective. Humanist perspective. And that's where the average guy now feels the results of the uh, humanism 
filtering down to the average eye through rules and regulations and legislation and government uh, policy. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 7.58 on this Tuesday evening. You're listening to That's Truth. It is an interactive program. And, Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that has come in from a listener in Antigua. It says, Good night. I find your topics, as usual, very interesting, and it has enhanced my understanding of Christianity. But could you please answer these questions or clarify it for me? What is an apostle? What makes one an apostle? And do we have apostles today? An apostle, basically, the word means one that is sent. Uh, if you're talking about an apostle in, in terms of the biblical teaching, there are only 12 apostles uh, that the Lord called for a specific ministry. Uh, an apostle, of course, is one that laid the foundation for the Christian church. If you read Ephesians, it said that the church's foundation is built on the prophets and the apostles. So they had a role to play in laying the foundation for Christianity. Now that the foundation has been laid and uh, the superstructure is being built, that office of apostleship is no longer valid. To be an apostle is something else that you had to do. To be an apostle, you have to see the resurrected Christ. If you did not see the resurrected Christ, you could not be an apostle. If you read the qualifications given in Acts chapter 1, when they were choosing one to replace Judas, you'll find that one of the requirements there that they must have, uh, must have seen the Lord after he had risen. So there's no person today who could claim that they've actually seen the Lord after his resurrection. But the Apostle Paul claimed to be the last apostle, yeah, right? Yeah, but here's but Paul he, did see him. He did, but some people still claim today that they've seen him. So how would you, how would you respond? I would say, I, I don't know, um, I can't, um, how should I say this? I do not know of anybody that um, have actually seen the Lord. And then, when you tell seeing the Lord, what does he look like? Most people that tell me they see the Lord is like the Jesus you see on the picture that you see. And that's not Jesus Christ, okay? That's just a European conception, an artist's conception of who Jesus is. So if you told me you see Jesus and that's the Jesus that you saw on a picture, you've seen, you've seen a mirage, you haven't seen the real Christ. There's no real picture of what Jesus Christ looked. All we know, he was a Jew, but we don't know exactly what he looked like. So when somebody said they've seen Jesus... And the Lord spoke to them. I want to know what he looked like. And if he looks like the one you see in the Sunday school paper, I can tell you one thing. He's not the Jesus of the Bible. <laughs> but uh, the problem today is that people are claiming authority that um, really, uh, and, 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 and if you have that, and, and then the other thing with the apostle is that he wrote scripture. And um, so unless you speak by inspiration, and the Bible is complete, so I see no role for an apostle in terms of speaking or writing Scripture. But biblically, I do not believe that there are any apostles in the sense that they fill an office. Now, an apostle meaning sent, like if I, a person sent, a missionary, for example, is one sent. If you want to use the term apostle to apply to a missionary, that's a, that's a different thing than for an official office where a person either speaks by inspiration or has some supernatural power that uh, the apostles had and that he has actually seen the risen Christ. If he can meet those qualifications, um, which I do not think anybody can today, we need to be very, very careful and very watchful in that regard. So I do not believe that any apostles, any official um, office that they are called apostleship. So would you separate... By the way, because I said, yeah. same thing Same thing with prophets. 
there no official office called the prophetic office. If the, if a person means that God gives me scripture, God gives me inspiration, so I can speak uh, new revelation, that is totally out of uh, contrary to scripture. The Bible is complete. If you mean by prophet that a person you now expounds the word and explains the word, that's a different story altogether. Uh, we got to be very very careful because. And the Bible warns that in the end time, uh, there is going to be massive deception, and that people would come claiming that they're messiahs, that they'll claim to be prophets, and they'll perform signs and wonders. But I want to remind you, Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation is a generation that seeks signs. We don't seek signs. We, we seek Jesus. We look for Jesus. So I think we've got to be very, very careful that we are not people who are bought into this narrative that we need to do something unusual and spectacular and supernatural. We need some pyrotechnics. I remind you that John the Baptist is the greatest prophet that ever lived, but yet John never performed one miracle. The Bible makes that very clear. John performed no miracle, and yet John had the Holy Spirit from the time he was born. So we we need to exercise wisdom and caution and uh, be very much aware that the key concern for our end time is the matter of deception and don't let anybody come into your church claiming to be prophets claiming to be apostles making prophetic words and utterances uh, without any real substance to these things so what should i do pastor if i am attending a church where there are prophets and apostles i will tell you what i would do i would find a church where i in my judgment is is in line with scripture in terms of biblical truth uh, and, and again, I don't know in those churches what these people do. Uh, I don't know what their teaching is, what their doctrine is. But as far as I am concerned, the prophetic office is finished. The apostolic office, those are the ones that lay the foundation. And I, I would suggest anybody to go to, go to uh, Ephesians, where Paul talks about this, is that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, if they laid the foundation for the church, they have performed their job. They laid the foundation for the church. Now the superstructure is built. That is where the gift of pastor, the gift of the evangelist comes in, and the other gifts that the Bible talks about. Those are the gifts that are still functioning. Pastor, we have a caller from Piccadilly, Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead. Um, good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Um, I think that the book of Revelation actually would put that question to rest uh, in regards to apostles and if apostles exist today. Um, the book of Revelation, it says that the names of the 12 apostles, well, the 12 apostles' names on the, the foundation, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So if, the, if it says the 12 apostles' names are written in the foundation of the, of the, of the city, the, the New Jerusalem, yeah. right, where would these other apostles, where would their names be? Where would their names be, um, be written? Yeah. You're using logic, but you must remember that we're dealing with a generation today that logic is not the resource. They're looking for something that is either emotional, and I think that's the problem we're having today, that people are not prepared to look at biblical truth in, in terms of what the Bible logically would teach. Uh-huh. They're more uh, attuned with what is popular. Um, they want to see pyrotechnics. They want to see excitement. They want noise. And I think, but you're right about that. I mean, if you, you look at what you're saying there, that uh-huh. there are 12 apostles and their names on the foundation, where would the, the need for the others be? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I don't doubt. I think that's a good verse to use. But I also think the one in Ephesians, where they said that they laid the foundation, the prophets and the apostles, the, the foundation has already been laid. 
And uh, you don't lay the foundation again and again after the superstructure started to be built. Right. But I am concerned today that um, among a lot of groups, that there are people making some bold claims that are so bogus, but yet they're getting so much uh, traction that people are being misled along those lines. Uh, I think it's because of also the, the, the strong delusions that's out there. Correct. 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 Christ had said that the, the, the spirit of Antichrist is out there even in his time. That's even right. In his time. So, so I, I guess that that comes down to the um, to to where Christ had also said that he'll be separating the the, the sheep she, from the goats. Whatever the case may be, right? Yeah. Even if you cast a demon in my name, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to tell you, depart from me, you're working iniquity. Yeah. Like, so, so there are a lot of things out there which which they're there for a reason, for a purpose. Um, even those um, the feminist groups, all of them, they're there for a purpose. Yeah. Right, and and they, they, their purpose must be fulfilled, yeah. just as how um, um, God at, at one time had 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 asked, "Who is going to go for me and um, and tell tell um, King Ahab go up and fight against the, the the other nation?" Yeah, right, and and there was a lion spirit in the present, so that I will go and tell yeah. the lion spirit in those prophets' mouth. Yeah. To, 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 to do your will, you know? Uh -huh. So yeah. they, they, all of them, basically, they have their will. Um, sorry, they have their purpose. Yeah. And their purpose, it must, it must come to pass. Yes. But what we have to, what we have to, to, to be aware of is, um, as the Word of God says, test the Spirit. That's right. That's right. That's right. Keep, keep on testing the spirit, whether or not it's of God or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Paul also says that if anyone preaches any other gospel other than what even me myself, right? Even even me myself come with come with um, another gospel, right? That is not of God. Yeah. Let him be a curse. Let's be a curse. Correct. Let him be a curse. Correct. Yeah. I wish we had more in, um, informed people today, like yourself. It's clearly a student of the word. The problem today, as I uh, again, is that we don't have people who are really into the book. They just open their Bibles when they go to church. They're not studying it on their own, and they're being misled. And what what bothers me though is that we're concerned about everything on planet Earth except our eternal destiny. Yeah. I mean, why surrender that part of my life to a peace a priest or a pastor even? Yeah. You've got to search the scriptures, find out what is there. I mean, yeah. you're talking about eternity, you're not talking about time. No, no, no. Yeah. I appreciate what you're saying, sir. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much. God bless you. All right, God bless you. Too. Thanks. Thank you very much for the call. Have a great night. And as always, we appreciate you calling in and asking questions and sharing your thoughts. What was the other thing on the... Uh, uh, there was a question about the apostle. What is an apostle? What makes an apostle? And do we have apostles today? Okay, I think I made it clear about what what um, <coughs> that we don't have any today. Uh, but what made a person apostle again was a direct call from the Lord. Um, that was one thing that would made them apostle, and uh, they were chosen to lay the foundation of the church and to start out the the. Um, the finish of the church, and they were given special powers. If you read uh, Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about the signs that would follow the apostle. And Paul warns that if we neglect so great salvation, after you've seen these signs, uh, he warned that um, it, you can't escape. So they're, uh, we're called of God uh, for a special mission, which was to lay the foundation for the church. They fulfilled their mission, and therefore there's no need for that apostolic office today. Pastor, we were going back to the topic of humanism. We were talking about 
the origin and the root of humanism, how it started with the Greeks, and you listed, excuse me, listed a lot of men that were involved in that. Do you have anything else you'd like to add in the history of humanism? Well, all I would say is this guy Julian Huxley, who was the uh, the uh, played a major role in UNESCO. Remember that he's a strong new humanist. Within the, we'll probably mention that within the UN, uh, m- most of those people who are within the UN are humanists, and they have a humanist agenda. Uh, one of the uh, one of the items on the agenda is a world government with a socialist system. Uh, that is the whole plan for the UN to create a, a world government, but it must not be. There is an antipathy towards um, free enterprise and the capitalist system within the UN. Yet the countries that are most prosperous are those that practice free enterprise and capitalism. That's where they get a lot of their money from, to be honest with you. But yet, in their thinking, the ideology, socialism is uh, their ideal, and that's what they're working towards. Well, you're talking about wealth. I have a study in front of me that was done by Gallup. They do a lot of studies. Uh, this was comes from August of 2010. They found that the world's poorest countries were the countries where religion was practiced the most. And a lot of people I've seen have turned to this study and have said, look, religion is holding man down. Religion is the chains that are binding man and enslaving man, and we need to be free of religion and become humanist. What's your perspective of this study? Number one, I smiled when when you first told me about it because... Clearly, if anybody would read the book, um, um, How Christianity Changed the World, uh, that is one of the amazing books I would recommend to any person to read, and especially if your child is going off to college or university. I would get that book and put it in its bag because it answers a lot of questions, including this one. And one of the things it points out is that um, the Protestant work ethic which came out as a result of the Protestant Reformation, is what was transformative in the Western world. Check all of the great Western countries that were Protestant, whether it be England, whether it be Germany, uh, France, um, Holland, Switzerland, um, even America. Those are some of the greatest prosperous countries in the whole world. And that, that prosperity came about as a result of the Christian Protestant work ethic. That's what made those countries great. Um, you would notice, on the other hand, if you check countries like the Muslim countries, you check the countries like um, the Hindu countries, you will find that the poverty level is abysmal. And again, because they simply did not have the Protestant work ethic. Uh, take India, for example, uh, uh, over a billion people. Uh, I mean, very, very poor, but very, very rich in resources. India probably got as many cows as got people, but you can't eat cows. Yeah. Because the cow is a god. That's what their religion has done, Hinduism has done to them. And you can't show compassion uh, as a Hindu because if you're a Hindu, you believe in karma and you believe in reincarnation. It means that whatever person is suffering is a result of some sin he committed in his past life. And the only way he can ever come to a higher level, he must suffer through this whole process. So if I help him now to release his suffering, I put him back down on the lower stage. So I have no reason for compassion. The religion of Hinduism, uh, there's a guy called Ravi Zacharias. Uh, you probably heard of him, fantastic speaker, great writer. He pointed out that this is the curse 
of uh, India because, you know, Ravi is an Indian, basically. And that's one of the things that he laments, that his religion has cursed his country because he has seen what Hinduism has done to the humanity of the situation, the hum- humanity there in India. Uh, you go to the Muslims' country, look at, again, the Muslim country, you've got the kings and the heads and the sheiks at the top, f- fabulously rich. At the bottom, you got this lower class, etc. Because again, it is not the, they don't have the 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 the, uh, the Protestant work ethic that transform the Western world. So it depends on which religion they're talking about. They can't be talking about Christianity because wherever Christianity has gone, it has elevated uh, humankind. There may be one or two exceptions. One exception I can think about, and I don't want to be offensive at this point in time, but you check the Catholic countries uh, in the in the Western world as opposed to the Protestant countries. Like Mexico. Check, you check Mexico, you check all. You'll see the the disparity between the, the, uh, the material success of the Protestant countries vis-a-vis the Catholic countries. Uh, and that is because, <coughs> to some extent, um, they have not really taught the people about fa- controlling family members. In other words, you, you, you know, if you can't afford 10 children, because the Catholic Church is totally against any kind of uh, birth control, you put people, you can make people maintain in, in poverty. That, that is one of the, the, the issues as well, because you, can have a, you should have as large a family as you can afford. But to just have children, you can't support those children. You're continu- continuously promoting poverty, and you have to be responsible as an individual, the Protestant um, faith has brought that kind of human responsibility to it to the fore within Protestant lands, but the Catholics doesn't have that. I think that's one of the other other factors. And then, of course, the priests have kept the people in ignorance for many, many years. I have to tell you that honestly, they really did a lot. They hid the Bible from the people for years. People that couldn't speak Latin, <coughs> they were actually preaching in Latin. Nobody understood the Latin. Uh, I mean, this went on for centuries, basically. So they, 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 were, they kept the people, and then they did not give people the exposure to the Bible. They would burn the Bibles. If you were found with a Bible, you could be burned at the stake. You can go to, to the Inquisition. Protestant churches liberated man's mind and opened man's mind to truth. And when you go into the Old Testament or the New Testament, you see if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't what? He eat. shouldn't eat. Yeah. So <laughs> that is the kind of transformative truth that <coughs> helped the Protestant Reformation. But the Catholics were blowing the scripture. Yeah. Pastor, we have a question that has a listener wants to. A, a listener would like to know the passages that you were quoting on about the apostleship. Uh, it was in the passage. Yeah, can you repeat the scripture again about apostles? <coughs> I'm looking at it here. <clears throat> Forgive me, I'm having a problem. Um, <clears throat> it's a reference. I'm looking for it quickly here. Could we have another question while we're looking for it? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I can. In fact, let me go ahead and share the contact information. Uh, if you are interested in asking a question to Pastor Murphy, there are multiple ways you can send the question. You can call and be put live on the air, one two six eight. 
462-7420. Maybe you don't have a question right now, but let me encourage you, go ahead and write down this phone number or save it in your phone for future reference. To call and be put live on the air, the phone number is one 268 462 7420. If you would like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1 268 782 1454. Thank you to the individuals who have been sending in questions via WhatsApp and text 1 268 782 1454. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on Tuesday evening is 8.18. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from our studios in the southwest section of Antigua, the community of Valley Church. Broadcasting on 1160 AM and 92.3 FM. You can also listen to us online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Okay, the passage I'm referring to is Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Let me read it for you, please. <clears throat> it said, um, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens of God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom, in him, the whole body is joined together and riseth to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are, you two are being built together to become a dwelling, uh, dwelling place with God, in which God lives by His Spirit. Uh, that's taken from Ephesians chapter two, verse um, verse nineteen is the verse there. Uh, verse twenty, sorry, built on the foundation of the apostle and the prophets. I hope that answers the question for the individual who sent in and wanted that follow-up. That comes from Ephesians. The other chapter. verse, the other verse that uh, the person might want to become familiar with is one in the book of um, Acts, chapter one, when they were trying to select a replacement for uh, Judas Iscariot, and uh, the qualifications <clears throat> that were given uh, in that particular passage. Um, so I would suggest that the person read uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 12, uh, to verse 19. And uh, you'll see that the reference is made there that the person must have seen a witness. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me read verse number 22. Uh, verse 21 said, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time uh, that Jesus went in and out from among us, beginning from John's baptism, to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. See, So there is the requirement that they must have witnessed the resurrection of Christ in order to become a valid candidate for apostleship. We are discussing this evening the topic <clears throat> of humanism. Pastor, just how pervasive is humanism? Well, we mentioned before that um, it's dominated the Western culture for the last 200 years. And it's infiltrated the educational system. It's infiltrated the media uh, centers of the world. Um, it, it doesn't matter whether it be the television, whether it be the, the radio, um, whether it be the, the uh, Hollywood. Uh, it really doesn't matter. Every single 
one of these influential media centers um, are dominated by humanistic thinking. Uh, major newspapers, television networks, even book public publishers and the movies, producers, all of them basically are human. And then, of course, the government. I mentioned before that it filters down. You've got the government normally tries to hire the most qualified people, generally speaking. Those are the university graduates. And humanism is taught within the university centers. So when you come out of university, you go into a government position, you carry that same ideology and philosophy with you. And so it filters down because government plays such a major role, especially within the Caribbean context. So it's a very, very pervasive um, at the UN. Most people in the UN in major positions are humanists. So it, 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 it impacts every aspect of our lives today, basically, this humanistic thinking. Is there any hope for turning the tide back? Or <clears throat> we're too far gone and we just need to pray for the rapture to happen? <laughs> I, you know, I, that's a question that's really worth exploring. I really think that the only way to transform society is through revival. Uh, Christians are looking to government. Government is looking to the church. That's the, the anomaly of, of our time. But the real need is a, a, a revival. Now, we've had revival in, 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 in Wales. We've had revival in England. We've had revival in America. Africa's had revival. I do not know of any revival in the Caribbean. I don't know if the Lord will bless us with revival. But the only way to change, turn the tide in, in the Caribbean, there must be some kind of revival. Uh, I can't see anything changing the the system without revival. America, I think, has been given a, a period of, um, um, with the election of Trump, who has now reversed a lot of the policies. I don't know if you know this, but um, a lot of these church institutions, a lot of the charitable institutions, a lot of their hospitals, a lot of their um, care centers would have been closed down. I don't know if you know that, because the Affordable Care Act mandated that you give these abortion pills to your employees. And no Christian institution could have, uh, with a conscience, given an abortion to any of its workers. That has now been reversed. But had that not been reversed, J James Dodson just won a major case uh, in this regard. Uh, he thought his network of, of ministries would have to close down because of a conscience he could not have given any employee abortion pills, but that he won the case. Now, that could not have happened had not Trump come in. Now, uh, people, I mean, Trump is not a moral person, we understand that, but neither was um, Cy Cy Cyrus that the Lord used and uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and I think that this is what is happening. I, it's, it's very strange. He's the least person we expected, but he's reversed that trend, and the church, even the, the, uh, the Catholic nuns who take care of the poor, they had a, a tremendous lawsuit because they refused to give these abortion pills. But that has been changed. And I don't think we can look to government to solve that problem. I think the church needs a revival. I think if America is going to be reversed, a revival has to happen. You had revival under Whitfield. Uh, I think that is what, and then, you know, the Wesleys are right. what saved England from the revolution. When France was going through the, the French Revolution, the bloody revolution, uh, it was the Wesleys preaching and the revival under them that took England for the edge of revolution and virtually saved the country. 
I think something like that is needed if there's going to be a reversal of the trend today, but it's very, very difficult. Europe, for example, Europe is what I say going to what I call a neo-paganistic period now. Europe had gone away from the, uh, the Protestant faith. 3% of people in England attend church. It's less than in Germany. 3%. 3%. It's less in Germany and those other countries. Um, I just learned recently as well that even take, take, take Canada. Canada now, if I'm a pastor, I can't, in the pulpit, I can't preach against homosexuality or lesbianism. Otherwise, the church would lose its tax exemption and I'd be closed down. I just uh, learned that um, a missionary who was doing some work just over the, before the border of Quebec, about 12 Baptist churches were closed down because they're not going to compromise on this whole matter. And people from Quebec now travel over to America for the service and then go back to Quebec. But that gives you an idea that you, who can imagine that Canada would close down churches and, and uh, ban pastors from preaching what's in the Bible. I mean, that is mind-boggling. When will it get here? I don't know. But certainly, if that trend continues, we down in the Caribbean will face this kind of flack from government as well. So did I understand you to say that you believe that even in today's day and age, this dispensation, God can use a less than moral man in a government position to do the work, to do God's work? I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt about that. He did it in the past when he brought Nebuchadnezzar to deal with Israel and to chasten Israel. Uh, when he brought back the Jews out of exile and uh, sent them back to the homeland to, who, to build the temple and rebuild the, the walls, who was it that he used? A pagan, right? Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, if you read Habakkuk, that's the thing that troubled Habakkuk. When Habakkuk was saying, Lord, I cried unto you day and night for you to intervene, you don't intervene. And God said, I, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to send the, the Chaldeans down to destroy and deal with my people. He said, but God, how can you do that? My people are more righteous than the Nebuchadnezzar. And this. But again, is God can use... Look, God can even use Satan himself, as in the book of Job to chasten Job so that we today, when we're going through trials and we don't understand the mystery of the scene going on between, even Satan is an instrument in God's hand to accomplish God's purpose. So while you're along that line of thought, is our destiny in our own hands or is everything already predetermined and written down? I think God has predetermined a purpose. I do not think that God has predetermined every single detail. Because if that's the case, you can't function, I can't function. So I don't think that is what, but God has got an overall purpose to accomplish. Like for example, that Christ would come, that Christ would die, right? That is God's overall purpose. Did Judas make his own decision to betray Christ? Of course he did. Did the Romans make their own decision to crucify him? Of course they did. But because God has a purpose, doesn't mean that God has made me do something. God operates within his, uh, his his knowledge of how I would respond, what I would do in certain situations. But he, I do not believe that God ordains every nitty-gritty thing. Otherwise, nobody can function in that regard. I think he knows everything, but human choice has a, p- a role to play in terms of, 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 of what God's purpose is. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 829. We're discussing humanism. <laughs> And Pastor, to really make the rubber hit the road here, why is it important that I, as a Christian, pay attention to how pervasive humanism is and what it teaches? 
Well, look, let's put it this way. We're living in a world and we ought to be able to function within the world. Uh, we ought to be aware of what is happening. We ought to understand the ideology that is controlling the world affairs. Uh, the Bible talks about the spirit of the times. Uh, the Bible deals with these kind of issues. So we ought to be informed believers. We ought to be intelligent believers. Uh, we ought to be aware of uh, how government functions, uh, what's happening in our schools, what's happening in our universities, uh, we who have children sending them to these different schools, etc. We ought to be aware of how they're being influenced. And, and then, of course, if we're going to combat the error, uh, we can't combat error until we understand the ideology behind the error. Uh, so I think for us to be functioning believers, intelligent believers, being able to provide answers to the issues that we're faced with, it's important that we become aware even of this whole philosophy of humanism that is so pervasive we ought to be aware of what is happening in the UN, uh, the ideology. Uh, we ought to be aware of what is happening within the U.S. government, within the, the, the even the government here in the Caribbean, that a lot of these people are humanists. They just, uh, they just uh, believe in socialism. Uh, they don't believe in the free enterprise and capitalism. Um, so those who have experimented in socialism, like Burnham in German, in um, Guyana, Manly in uh, Jamaica, um, Eric Williams in Trinidad. I mean, we can still remember that. And of course, we had Maurice Bishop in in, um, in Grenada, who was experimenting with communism and, and socialism as well. So. We have to understand what is happening, why it's happening, and what's the driving force behind these things if we're going to respond in an intelligent way as believers. Pastor, we have a caller calling from Anguilla. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good night. Um, this is um, Brother Ross. Oh, good, good night, sir. And, um, again, a very good topic. And um, I, I would like just to ask, um, have you noticed the the closeness hu the humanist philosophy is to communism? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that part of it. And um, notice that both of them rely on evolution for the, I guess we could say the authority. Yeah, correct. And, um, <laughs> you know, so when you look at what Christ said in Matthew, uh, sorry, John five forty seven, if they do not believe what, if you do not believe what Moses and the prophets wrote, you're not going to believe anything I tell you. Yes, sir. So that means um, as Christians and as churches, we have to, you know, we have to go after this evolution real hard. We're not doing it. Well, part of the problem for that, I might say this, you know, is the, the center of of evolution, the, the, the fountain head really is the university that we send our people to be trained. That's true. And um, my son, um, who was at the UWI, he, he did biology and chemistry. Uh, when he came back uh, during the vacation, uh, he would tell me, Daddy, this is what is being taught. But then he would, he would actually uh, sometimes find it very comical that these professors are pushing something that he can't swallow. He is so yeah. convinced of the scripture and biblical truth, and the evidence, you know, the evidence against evolution is so strong. But the problem is, 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 is um, distorted and being taught to people who don't really read the other side of the story. Yeah, um, but what you're saying is so true, um, you know. And but my thing is, 
I used to um, research this a, lo a long time ago before the internet, and boy, it was hard to it was hard to get information. Uh -huh. You know, you, you had to wait till you could order a book from ICR, you know, a DVD or something like that. Uh -huh. But now with the internet, oh yes, there is so much information down there. The first time I had a computer. I Google creation and I got a headache. <laughs> I was there were so many Christian websites and I was trying to, to check all of them. I was shocked. Yeah, I couldn't believe yeah, yeah. There's no reason for us today, to be honest with you, to be uh, defensive when it comes to this. We ought to right. be very, very strong and, uh, you know, but I don't know why Christians feel it intimidated. I just can't figure it out yet. Why would I be intimidated uh, with a human philosophy when the Bible is so absolutely true? Right. Uh, I, there are times, I must say this, I mean, I, I might seem like a little bit arrogant here, but there are times when I wish I could go back to school. <laughs> no, 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 but you're right, you know, Pastor. Uh, you're not being arrogant. Yeah. But I, I, wish, it, I wish I could uh, be there to, to debate, to discuss, and, and bring out the things that uh, need to be brought up, because I, these young, impressionable minds that go into a university and come back, they've got some that go to school believing, then they come back, they have been brainwashed, totally brainwashed. Right. It's a tragedy, real tragedy. Well, you know, one time at the lighthouse, I heard Dr. Vane Van Gelderen, uh -huh, uh -huh. and he was talking about the age that these, some of these students go to college. Yeah. And he was, I think he was saying between 18 to 22. Uh -huh. He would say, well, that's the time you need your parents more than ever. Yeah, yeah. So he was saying, yeah. that's the time we send them away. I went to teacher's college at age, I think it was 27. Uh-huh, And uh -huh. when the, when the um, tutors would come out with um, Sigmund Freud, who was an atheist, I mean, to me, it was laughable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I know in the Bible, the Bible says, the fool I said in his heart, there yeah. is no God. Yeah. The fear of God is the beginning of yeah. wisdom. So my thing is, I mean, what does this guy have really that uh, could help me? Nothing. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I can't believe some of his theories and how people have swallowed them. Beyond, and they're becoming, you know, this is something being taught in, by the way, even in Christian colleges, the danger that, that has infiltrated Christian colleges as well. Well, you talk, you spoke about that earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About some, some of the things. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. You, you know, it, it is, it, it is frightening. But I think we in the Caribbean, we need to have our own um, creation seminars. Yeah, I, I wish we could have a real debate. When I said debate, I wish we could really have a uh, take people who are major proponents of evolution at the UWI who really want to debate, and we could actually bring down some people along with some of our own Caribbean people and have a real national debate on these issues. Right. I wish that could happen because, you know, the idea is the, we can only win in the marketplace. In the church, four church walls, we can't win the battle. It has to be the marketplace where these ideas are thrown out to influence the minds of these, these people because, as you know, people are not coming to church these days. So even within yeah, the church, when they deal with it, it's not pervasive because it's, it's seldom are they coming. But I really think a national debate on these issues, I really think, would really, really go a long way in helping to change some minds and, and uh, fortify some believers as well. I, I agree with you. And you know, another thing that is... Um that apparently a lot of people aren't aware of, that um, there is some racial um, racism um, that is naturally implied in evolution. In fact, the yeah. very title of Charles Darwin's book, yeah. how many people know the, the full title? Mm -hmm. On the Origin of Species, 
by means of natural selection or the preservation of the favored races in their struggle for life. Yeah, yeah. It was a a racist document, not only that, you remember that even Hitler used that ideology to, uh, to really create what is called the Aryan race and um, get rid of the misfits, those who had right, physical um, problems or mental problems and elderly people, etc. It's a vicious ideology and if, if really perpetrated and really put into practice, it has detrimental effects, definitely on society. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you know too that um, one of the things um, here at, I saw a book from, it was a CXC book and it was calling, uh, what's this guy, Sugar Hour, great hero. Uh-oh. And, you know, Sugar Hour said the reason why black people are black because we don't like to bathe. <laughs> I've never heard that, man. But and here is CXC. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And the head of CXC is Hillary Beckles, who is this guy that CARICOM has dealing with reparations, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. It always make you want to laugh. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, Caribbean people should, should uh, feel insulted uh, if that was a statement that they made. And, I mean, the educational people in authority should, should, should take those things and, and get rid of those things. You see, I think with Planned Parenthood, as you would know, right. the person uh, behind it, Senate. yeah, I mean, her real her real thing, her real motive really was not really to, to, to keep down um, the, 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 the races, that, the race. minority races, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, right. I mean, she makes those statements even in her writings. Uh, I, I This word is... It seemed to be the so confused, and people who are supposed to make reasonable decisions. I, I just don't understand why we do the things that we do in this regard. But the Christian should always be strong in his faith and not be ashamed of his faith and hold on to biblical truth. Brother, we got truth on our side, so we we don't have to fear. That's right. uh, don't have to fear at all, man. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for calling. God bless you. I appreciate that. God bless you. Too. Bye. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.40. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We have 18 minutes left in the program, and we are talking about humanism. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can send it via WhatsApp or text to 1-268-782-1454, or you can call and be put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420. Uh, Pastor, another area that I wanted to make sure that we covered were what are some of the major beliefs or tenets of humanism? There are five major tenets or beliefs of, of, of um, humanism, and um, I'd like to share this with you. Number one is all humanists, if you claim to be humanists, believe in atheism. Um, I want to <coughs> quote uh, Dr. Carlos Lamont, uh, who was the leading spokesman for the humanists, and he wrote the book, The Philosophy of Humanism. This is how he puts it, and I quote, he said, humanists or humanism believes in a natural, in natural metaphysics or uh, attitude towards the universe that considers all forms of supernatural as myths. Humanists believe that nature itself constitutes a sum total of reality that matter and energy and not mind is the foundation stuff of the universe and that supernatural entities simply do not exist. The non-reality of the supernatural means on the human level that man 
men do not possess supernatural or immortal souls. So clearly, uh, their position is that there's no supernatural, there's no transcendent being, and we must understand uh, humankind in terms of energy and matter. Uh, there's no mind that controls uh, the universe. So if you are a humanist, uh, the first thing that is, uh, first tenet is that you, you embrace the doctrine of atheism, that there's no supernatural God, there's no transcendent being, and that man is a product of natural phenomena through the evolutionary process. So that's the first thing, that believe in atheism. The second thing, of course, that goes with atheism, if you believe in atheism, you have to find a system to explain how we got here. And the second tenet of uh, humanists is that they're evolutionists. They explain human existence because it's independent of God. They embrace the evolutionary theory. And this is today uh, the fundamental um, basis of their ideology. And this same evolutionary theory, by the way, um, it infiltrated psychology, infiltrated sociology, political science, biology. It's a pervasive concept that now rules within the academic disciplines. Uh, it, it's, it's, everything is looked at in terms of evolution. Uh, I want to read uh, Carlos Lamont again what he said. He said, Biology has conclusively shown that man and all other forms of life were the result not of a supernatural act of a creator by God, but of an infinitely long period of evolution, probably uh, about two billion years. So if you're a humanist, you're not only an atheist, but the fact that you've embraced atheism, you've got to explain humankind in terms of how we got here, and that's where the evolutionary theory falls in to their basic tenet of, of um, atheism. Um, Huxley, um, I think I read before you uh, that he said that um, mankind is just a product of um, evolution as the animal or the plant. Um, that gives you an idea, again, of this evolutionary theory. The third tenet of um, humanism is that they believe in what is called amorality. Uh, in other words, they believe in relativism. Uh, to quote the Humanist magazine, this is what they said. Darwin's discovery of the principle of evolution sounded the death knell of religious and moral values. Uh, it removed the ground from under the feet of traditional religion. So, so humanists, if you don't believe in God, you believe in evolution, you have no basis for morality. Man becomes a standard of morality. And what is right and what is wrong is now dependent on the individual. There's no absolute final standard uh, for man to follow. So, consequently, all of these ideas filter down to the educational system uh, to the layman and the average person. I understand it's a call. Yes, Pastor, we have a caller from All Saints Area, Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Hello, are you there? Hello? Yes, sir. Yes. You're listening. Go ahead with your question. No, I, I would like Pastor Mark, Mark to explain Deuteronomy 29.29 for me and kindly read Jeremiah 45 with God's message to Baruch. Deuteronomy 29, 29, I'm looking for it quickly here. 
and explain Jeremiah 45. Verse what? God's message to Baruch. Okay, let me read it one in Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29. It reads, The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the Lord. If you read the verses before, um, it says, And he answered, um, It's because this people have abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, the covenant that he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshipped other gods and bowed down to them. Gods no, that they no, don't. Not that scripture. Uh-huh. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Yeah, I understand that. I was just reading the text before. The, the problem well, was... Yes, Pastor. It doesn't say the secret thing belongs to God, but the thing which I revealed belongs to man. Yes. Eh? Yeah, the secret things belong to the Lord, but what is revealed it belongs to us. Yes, I agree with that. Well, so not everything we know. Because not what? That is not everything we understand. You're, so you're saying that... Uh, I, can't, I can't tell the scripture what it tells me. He that, you know, he that thinks that he knows anything, knows nothing yet as you have to know. It's not everything I know. It's the things that I reveal I can give an account and talk what I know about. Yeah. Well, God has kept some secrets from us. I think you know that. There's some things that God doesn't want us to know. For example, God has made it very clear that nobody should be dabbling in necromancy with the dead, because that's not knowledge that we should be okay, privy to. Okay, I understand that. Right. So what about, what about um, Jeremiah 45, God's message to Baruch? Uh, Jeremiah 40 what? 45. 45. Read, read it. We think it's about 15 verse only. Okay. I'll have him, you got it? Read it, please. Yeah, Jeremiah 45. All right. The word of Jeremiah the prophet spake unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in the book at the mouth of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto thee, O Baruch, thou didst say, Woe is me now, for the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighting, and I find no rest. Thus say, thus shalt thou say unto him, okay, I listen to God be here. Explain to it. Explain to it to me. I listen to you out here. Okay. okay. Out the phone. Okay, thank you. Oh, all right. Uh, let me continue. Thank you for the call, by the way. Well, I'll finish. I got one and a half verses left in the chapter. Uh, Jeremiah 45 and verse 4 says, Thus shalt thou say unto him, The Lord saith thus, Behold, that I have built, will I break down. And that which I have planted, I will pluck up, even the whole land, even this whole land. And the final verse, And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord. 
but thy life will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. Okay. I wish I could. Um, I would like to try to respond to that next time. I'll tell you why. I don't know the full context. I'm just hearing the particular passage. And uh, clearly, it's a passage where God is speaking about judgment of the nation of Israel. And um, But I would like to be able to address that um, next time as we begin the program. Sir, I want to do a good job on, on the question. I want to make sure I get the full passage of Scripture. I don't believe that you can interpret a passage of Scripture by just reading one section. I would want to read what comes before, what comes after, and see what theme that he's dealing with, and then I will respond to you in that way. All right. And so we will start off the program next Tuesday. Assuming that the rapture doesn't happen before then, Pastor, <laughs> with Jeremiah 45 and God's message to Baruch and explaining uh, what is being taught there in that passage. Uh, Pastor, we have eight minutes left in the program. Uh, you were discussing what the major beliefs or tenets of humanism are, first the atheist and evolution. Right, and then I mentioned the the belief in what's called amorality. Amor- in other words, that they are what you call relativists. They don't believe that they're any absolutes, and therefore they're not uh, going to feel that the Ten Commandments or the ethical teaching of Jesus Christ in uh, Sermon on the Mount is binding on any one individual or any society. Uh, their philosophy is one of non-absolutes, and because of this, it has opened the door to such things as situation ethics, um, uh, the permissiveness that we see in society, the the free love that is uh, we experienced during the 60s, uh, the, the whole matter of easy divorce, this is part of that byproduct, uh, abortion on demand, um, even the normalization of sodomy today, uh, and the ready access to pornography, all of this is a byproduct of this immorality that they hold to, that there's no real standard that determines right or wrong. What determines right or wrong is what you feel is right for you and how you feel is right. That's why you, you find off you talk to people and say, well, you know, that may be right for you or that may be wrong for you, but it's okay for me. That is the philosophy of the um, humanists, that you're not supposed to have any absolute standard. I want to read what Lamont said again on this subject. He said, for humanists, no human act is good or bad uh, in of themselves. Whether an act is good or bad is to be judged by its consequences for the individual society. So there's no transcendent standard that we must all try to follow in line with. Uh, it all dependent on what consequences it, it results in for the individual or society. That is simply not the Christian position. Uh, we believe that the moral standards that God has set, these are absolute, and that whether a person be king or a person be a pauper, uh, he ought to fall in line with these biblical norms. Lamont went on to say that the humanists refuse to accept any Ten Commandments or other ethical principles as inevitable and universal law. Uh, and never to be challenged. He bows down to no alleged supreme moral authority, either past or present. That's his concept of a humanist. He's totally independent of any moral law, and he's a law unto himself. Pastor, we have a (coughs) WhatsApp comment or question from Antigua. Uh, Pastor Murphy forgets that people tend to argue points that they are sold on, but those same people do not believe in arguing the Bible because there is a degree 
of unbelief, though they say they believe in Christ. Most believers alleged believe will not discuss the Bible with you outside of a group setting. I think that, that is part of the intimidation factor that people face with. We um, ought to be bold as Christians. Paul said, God has not given the spirit of fear, but of love and of a song mind. And um, I think because of peer pressure, uh, people feel intimidated and consequently only within the context when they're surrounded by uh, people who can help defend their cause, uh, they're probably more apt to uh, oppose a position and find themselves more in a compromising situation where they're surrounded by uh, many more people than they're present. But I, I feel that as, as Christians, um, the matter is once you've understood what the truth of Scripture is, I think you should take a stand on that. And we are supposed to be bold and taking our stand on Scripture. I, I can't understand the, 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 um, the softness of some believers who feel intimidated because public opinion is not in their favor. We need to stand up for truth and um, defend that truth. And we must not in any way um, allow the forces around us to intimidate us, uh, to surrender our beliefs, or to make us mute in regards to dealing with issues that we need to deal with. Another WhatsApp question that has come in from Antigua. Pastor, Wikipedia defines Christian humanism as Christian humanism regarding humanist principles like universal human dignity and individual freedom and the primacy of human happiness as essential and principal components of teaching teachings of Jesus. Is it possible to be a Christian humanist? Well, I probably should, when I started the program, I should have thought, talked about uh, what we're dealing with, secular humanism. Okay. Because there is a, a, a humanism that uh, have those kind of ideals that they're talking about. That's not what we're dealing with. We're here dealing with secular humanism. But uh, wanting universal education or, or wanting um, uh, the other items that I mentioned there on the that just came in, um, I think in that sense, that title of humanist would be appropriate. But generally speaking, we're dealing here with secular humanism and not with Christian humanism. Like, for example, Erasmus, um, who was responsible for compiling the Texas Receptus under which the King James Version is built, he's what you call a Christian humanist because he believed in education, he believed in advanced education, uh, he believed in um, studying, and he did, he did a lot of research as well in, in the, even the, the, the Greek language. So from that angle, uh, he is considered a Christian humanist not in the sense that he was an atheist or he believed in evolution or he was immoral. Um, so we're dealing with two different things. Maybe I should have clarified that when they started. Pastor, we've got two minutes left in the program. What are some of the main maybe writings or works of the secular humanist movement? Okay. I want to mention quickly two other things uh, before I deal with that. I know we yeah. got time. The other thing that they believe another tenet is human autonomy, which means that f- man is free and independent as an agent. He's not tied uh, to any god, uh, and he should not be inhibited. He should have as much liberty and freedom as he can. 
And uh, this idea of freedom, again, I mentioned, came from this guy, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who pushed this idea of liberating man. This is the same guy I mentioned that lived with a mistress of 16 years, fathered five children, and left all of them in the, in the French hospital, the major hospital. But the idea is that everybody should be free to do what they want to, uh, rather than be constrained by any moral authority. So the, another thing that they push is this whole thing of human autonomy, that man is autonomous and he's not held to be held to be any supernatural being. And then the last thing I think that's important is that I mentioned earlier that they believe in a one-world government on the socialist system. That's part of the major, one of the major tenets of uh, secular humanism. Now coming back to the question of um, major sources, there are two main documents that you can go online and check. It's called the, the, the Humanist Manifesto 1, and then that was superseded by the Human Manifesto 2 in 1974. That sets forth in that manifesto what they believe, item by item, atheism, evolution, immorality. It sets forth also the idea of a socialist agenda in one world government, and the idea of human autonomy. So those tenets that I mentioned are spelled out in greater detail in those two manifestos. Um, what is interesting, I think, that if you were to look at the names of the people that signed those manifestos, it would shock you. Some of the most influential scientists, psychologists, educators, these are the men that helped to shape and form the philosophy of the world. These are the ones that signed this document. Thank you for listening to another episode and interacting with us for another episode of That's Truth. This is an interactive program, and we look forward to interacting with you next Tuesday evening as we discuss another topic that affects our everyday lives. And as you go out, as you take what you have learned tonight, may it not just be knowledge, but may you apply it to your lives. May you become a stronger, bolder witness and a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of what we discuss tonight. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.